Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. Last week we began our Advent series called Glimmers of Grace. And in this series, we're looking at mostly some rather obscure places in the Old Testament that point to the future coming of Jesus Christ. They're glimmers of grace, of a future hope in Jesus. Now, last week, we saw a glimmer of grace in a very unexpected place. In Genesis 3, right in the middle of God's pronouncement of judgment on the earth because of the fall of humanity, we saw a glimmer of of grace, this hope that one day God would send one who would crush the serpent, who would defeat the work of the devil, who would reverse the effect of sin and restore our relationship with God. Similarly, this week, we find a glimmer of grace in an unexpected place. First of all, because of its location. In the book of Numbers. Now, that's a very unfortunate name for a book of the Bible because most of us don't get very excited about Numbers. Some of you accountants and finance folks, I see you, I appreciate you, but most of us don't get that excited about numbers, but it's a great book of the Bible, actually. It's an important part of the story. The second thing that's surprising about this glimmer of grace is who delivers it. It comes from a pagan prophet named Balaam, not one of God's prophets, a Babylonian pagan expert in divination is the one who delivers this glimmer of hope. Now, I'm not suggesting this should become a pattern in your life, uh, that you go down to your local astrologer to hear a fresh word from God, but this story proves that God can use anybody or anything to accomplish his plans and his purposes. So that's right, this morning, our glimmer of grace comes from the fourth oracle of Balaam in the book of Numbers from a pagan prophet, named Balaam. So let's get oriented quickly to where we are in the story of the Bible. God has rescued his people out of Egypt. He brought them through the desert. He gave them the law. He put up with their grumbling and complaining. He brought them eventually to the edge of the promised land and they disobeyed. They turned away. They got scared. They didn't follow God's plan. So then they ended up a high cost having to wander in the wilderness for an entire generation, 40 years. But eventually God brings his people up through to the east side of the Jordan River where they're to go into the promised land. This was not the original route that they were supposed to take. And along this route, they would have to encounter some of the fiercest enemies of the nation of Israel, including a group of people called the Moabites. Their king, Balak, heard uh, about the success of the nation of Israel, their large numbers and how they had taken out some of the enemies already. And so he gets scared and comes up with a plan. His plan is to call down a curse upon the people of Israel so that they'll be able to uh, defeat them. But here's his Uh, rules. First of all, he's going to have to have some money to accomplish this. (laughs) There's a cost. And secondly, he actually wants to ask permission to the God of Israel, not just any God, but actually he prays to the Lord, Yahweh, and asks permission to call a curse down upon his people. And of course, God says, no. 
These are my blessed people. I'm not going to allow you to do this. And in fact, uh, rather than calling down uh, curses upon them, what he'll end up doing is pronouncing the future for the nation of God's people. So what we see here is a prophecy from Balaam that God will raise up a leader who will be crucial to the ongoing success and the prosperity of the nation. And here's a piece of that prophecy from Balaam. Numbers 24, verse 17. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So this vision is of a promising future for the nation, uh, a time when they will be in the promised land, when their enemies would be subdued and they would have peace. And it would be fulfilled immediately through the rise of David and the Davidic kingdom. But the image of a star in the ancient Near East would have certainly implied something more than just a human leader. Even outside of the, the people of, of Israel, there would have been this understanding that this star was some kind of even divine hero. In fact, they often worshipped heroes back in the Bible as being divine. And so what we learn now with our perspective is that we can see clearly that this star that was announced would point to someone who would come through the line of David. It's clearly shown through the book of Matthew and even in, in Luke. They point out the fact that through the line of David, a royal king will come, and that man is Jesus Christ. So let's take just a moment to think about this for a minute. 1,400 years before Jesus comes, a pagan prophet announces that there will be a star that will announce the birth of King Jesus. You can't make this stuff up. Or at least you shouldn't. It's amazing. So I want to take just a moment to offer a brief reflection on the imagery of a star and why it's appropriate for Jesus. First of all, a star is a symbol of authority. Of authority. It's no coincidence that a star led Magi from the east to baby Jesus in Bethlehem. Both the Magi and King Herod took this to be a sign of the divinely designated king of the Jews. That he was a ruler. The Davidic star to come out of Jesus that Balaam had prophesied many years before. Now, in various ways across time, a star has been a symbol of authority, of royalty, of power. From civic symbols to flags to military rankings, the star is a fairly universal symbol. But Jesus is the star above all stars. He is the king above all kings. It's appropriate that a star symbolize him because he is the one that the Father has given all authority on heaven, that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. That's the position of authority. The book of Colossians tells us that everything that has been made was made by him and through him and for him. Jesus is the king. He is the authority above all authorities. And so it's appropriate that a star would announce this king, and not just a normal king, but a divine king. And so what should our response be that, to that? Well, Many people are sentimental at Christmas time. Many people like Jesus. They admire him. They see him as a good moral teacher. But the truth of Scripture presents to us a leader, a divine king, that the only appropriate response to is to bow down and worship him, to surrender all of our life to all of who he is, because he is the king. A star is also a symbol of influence. The Magi were not only alerted to the arrival of Jesus, but they are guided by this supernatural star. Seemingly, for all of human experience, people have looked to stars for guidance, 
to navigate ships at night, the dark waters of, of nighttime. People have looked to stars with hope for guidance for the future, often unwisely. A star is a symbol of influence. We're inspired by it. We go out at night to look at the stars because it's awe-inspiring. But for those of us who are in Christ, we understand that Jesus is our north star. He is the guiding force in our life. He never changes. He never moves. And in a world that is constantly changing and in the midst of circumstances that are always changing, we need that fixed hope. And something that does not change. And God's word and his truth never change. And Jesus Christ is our star. He is the one who is guiding us through the dark waters of the night. So if you feel like you've lost your way or you're feeling scattered and your life needs grounding and direction, I want to encourage you to look to Christ alone. Don't look inward. Don't look outward. Look upward to the only star that can guide your life. And third, a star is a symbol of prominence. You know, we call the main character of a book or a movie or a play the star of the show. We look to people who are famous and we call them stars. In a way, we give them great importance in our lives. Sometimes we even give them too much influence. In fact, worst case scenario, you could say that sometimes we worship the stars, the athletes, the famous people. For this reason, I think it's appropriate that the coming of Jesus is marked with a star. Because Jesus is the only one who deserves that worship, who deserves that attention. He is the star of the story, quite literally. In fact, he tells us at the end of Scripture, in closing words in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The whole story is about Jesus and it's taken the whole Bible to tell us that story. But Jesus says, I am the star of the story. To emphasize this point, I'd like to read to you from a children's book. It's actually called the Jesus Storybook Bible. We give it to our uh, little kiddos as they're coming through the program. And uh, it says this in the introduction. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace and his throne, who leaves everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are a lot of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you see a beautiful picture. My encouragement to you this year at Christmas is that you would once again realign your life your purpose, all of who you are around Jesus who is at the center of the story and that he would be at the center of your story. That you would ask yourself the question, am I living a Christ-centered life? And to allow all the drama of the Christmas story as it unfolds to remind you to keep Christ at the center of your story, remembering that the whole Bible is about Jesus, that every story whispers his name, and I pray this year at Christmas you will hear the whisper of God 
that he loves you. He loves you so much. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God is telling you by sending his son to the world that he loves you. And I pray that you will hear that whisper of God this year and it will shape your life. Would you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your love. We thank you for this time of year where we are reminded of incredible truths. Reminded of this central point in your story, your story of love and redemption for us. And I pray for each and every person here, God, that you would speak to their hearts. That you would fill them with hope. Fill them with the good news of the gospel this year at Christmas. And it would overflow into our lives, into the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're here in just a moment. We're going to show you a video. This is actually the final Four Tulsa video of this year. All throughout the year, we have been highlighting various ministries that we are partnering with to be a church that is for Tulsa. And this last one is a really good one. Uh, Mend Medical Services. They're doing great work in our city. And so you're going to hear more about what they're doing and how it ties in to the Christmas story. So enjoy this. <laughs> 